0: glad you're here today and those who uh, Jason and and Roy thank you for filling in you guys did such a great job thank you very much and uh, we're in continuing our study in Matthew where uh, Matthew 23 25 through 39 don't stand up just yet careful who you follow and you know I want to preface this now the Pharisees are influencing people in the culture to turn away from Jesus and Jesus is going to give all these woe statements in chapter 23 of Matthew woe to you scribes and pharisees woe to you blind guides woe to you foolish people pharisees careful who you follow careful who you follow if you would stand as we read verses 25 through 39 chapter 23 jesus is giving a scathing rebuke of the pharisees woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets, adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up in the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers, How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house today has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that you can teach us from your word things that you want us to know and learn how to navigate through this world that is running from you instead of to you. May we be people of God representing you as kingdom of God influencers in the culture that is around us. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence today. We need you more than we need anything in this world. We need a touch from our God. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And I hope you remember the setting is the last week of Jesus' life. It is Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life. He'll be crucified in just a few days on Good Friday. And in in that long Tuesday that he had, he was confronting the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes. Over and over, they were coming to challenge him, and over and over, Jesus answered their their questions, and they're they're rebuking him in front of all the people in the temple area. Now, what has happened is that Jesus now in chapter 23 on Tuesday is now going to rebuke the Pharisees, one woe after another. And I don't know if you remember this, but a woe is not common in the English language. There's no real translation for that but it means this, grieving denunciation, sorrowful wrath, godly threats. This is not something that Jesus enjoys doing, pouncing on these guys. He actually grieves for them. He wants them to turn and live, but he is giving a stern rebuke, but it is not with a heart of of giddiness that he's doing this. It's with a heart of sadness that he's rebuking these guys. Seven times he calls them calls uh, woes, woes to the scribes and pharisees five times he calls these religious elites blind he calls them blind guides fools and blind you blind pharisees now he, what is jesus doing here he's holding them responsible for knowing who the messiah would be jesus did things that only messiah could do remember in rabbinical tradition messiah would do three miracles three miracles Never done in the history of Israel that Jesus did. What did he do? He cast out a a demon from somebody who was deaf and mute. He healed someone blind from birth. He healed a leper. Never done in the nation of Israel. No one ever did this. You know what else Jesus did that impressed these guys? They heard about Jesus. They heard about what he was doing. Every time Jesus did something, somebody from Jerusalem, a Pharisee, had to go and observe him and examine him. And when they came and examined him, they found what Jesus did. The, the, the eyewitness testimony was overwhelming. Jesus blew the laws of nature away. He healed, a blind, he healed the blind man from birth. He, he, he changed water into wine at the Feast of Canaan. Hundreds of people there. This is a huge wedding feast. And Jesus changed water into wine. That information is then going all over the countryside. The Pharisees examine and find it is true. Jesus walked on water. He multiplied fish into loaves. Remember two times he did this. One with 5,000, the other with 4,000. And they had women and children in addition to that. That's fifteen to 20,000 eyewitnesses that saw this feeding of the, of the masses. Jesus changed the laws of nature. And then the big thing, one of the biggest things, I don't know if you remember this, but in Matthew uh, chapter, chapter 5 or 8 or in, in that area, Jesus stilled the storm on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples woke him up at the back of the boat. Remember, he was sleeping. And they were terrified. But you know what terrified them more? When Jesus said to that storm, peace be still. And they were absolutely blown away when Jesus said that, and the thing became like a sea of glass, and they wondered in that boat at that time at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, who is in the boat with us? And they were terrified at that stilling of the water. They were blown away. Jesus did impossible things. This was observed by by the Pharisees, confirmed by the Pharisees, and then they went in the into a series of questioning asking him questions that's what they were doing in the temple however they're not trying to get questions to to elucidate whether he's really the messiah they're trying to condemn him all the time and then finally in chapter 23 jesus says enough and he starts talking about them and gives the woes to the scribes and the pharisees the nation of israel will listen to the pharisees and because of that the kingdom will be rejected The nation will be responsible as well as its spiritual leaders because they followed blindly their spiritual leaders. Sound familiar today how people follow leaders today blindly? Folks, be very careful who you follow. I'm going to say this over and over in this talk. Be very careful who you follow. Be very careful who you listen to. There's all kinds of blind guides out there that are trying to lead you down the primrose path to destruction. Because they rejected Jesus, the kingdom is postponed. They will not have access to the kingdom. They will have to go through the tribulation period. And then the kingdom will come when Jesus comes to the second coming. They will be dispersed throughout the nations once again. Rome will come. And Rome will destroy Jerusalem. And the armies will come. And then a miracle of miracles happened in our world. You know, the Jews all through history have been dispersed throughout the world until May 14th, 1948. They never had a nation. And Isaiah talks about, in Isaiah chapter 66, 8, that a nation was born in a day. That was a fulfillment of prophecy when on that date, May 14th, 1948, the Jewish nation rose up as a, as a people recognized by the rest of the world. We have some lessons here that I want to talk about before we get into our teaching today and I would say this there's the Pharisees were mesmerizing the people don't be mesmerized by this world don't be mesmerized by this world system it's ungodly don't allow this world to squeeze you into its mold don't allow that to happen and God holds you responsible like the nation of Israel to know what the truth is you have in your hands here the infallible word of the living God you have the truth Jesus said, thy word is truth. This is a truth that you have. You judge everything according to Scripture. Everything must line up with this. And I'll tell you this, going along to get along in this culture will not work. Blending with the culture to be safe will not work. Believing Jesus is not true. There's more and more people that are thinking this is a fairy tale, and people are dropping out of Christendom, well, alleged Christendom, like, like like birds flying and crashing into the ground, I mean, just dropping all over the place. Pretending you are a believer will not work, and believing you can choose your own path to God, which has become very popular today, just choose your own path, That's not going to work. Why? Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, everybody just about has this memorized, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Well, that's pretty good job, you guys. Very good. It's comforting for me to know that simple belief in Jesus, you know, 98 times in the book of John, the criteria for salvation is believing and that, that word means more than just mental ascent. Remember, we've been through this many times. It means committing yourself to, putting your trust in Jesus as your savior, as your sin bearer. If you do that, you'll be saved. And if you do that, you'll be called born again. And when you're born again, you're starting on a new journey of life, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And for the rest of your life, you're on this journey. You're never going to be perfect here. That doesn't happen till heaven but you are being in a process of change. Remember, it's direction, not perfection. So don't get too down on yourself when you slip back. Pick yourself up and start moving again. Now, careful who you follow. That's our theme. In verse 25 and 26, careful God can see your heart. You may camouflage it from everybody else, but God sees the real you. Verse 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of extortion or greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And so many people are looking good. Looking good on the outside, but inside is full of corruption. The Pharisees put on a good front. They look good. They look clean. They looked righteous and that sort of thing. But Jesus hit them right between the peepers. Watch what he says. Full of extortion. Greed. Full of self-indulgence. Now, I want to suggest to you something that we're all party to. So many people, this is going to come up on the screen right now, the first slide So many people make false judgments based on appearance. Let me ask you a question. Are you guilty? I wrote up there right there. I am. Their hair's too long. Their hair's too short. Look at the clothes. They look like a motorcycle person. You know, I mean, all kinds of judgments we make. All kinds of judgments we make. Folks, God sees through all the external stuff. We are not to judge by appearance in John seven twenty four, but with righteous judgment. We are to make judgments, but they are to be righteous judgments, not by appearance. God sees the heart, folks. God sees through the external. God sees the heart. When Israel was going to have a king to replace Saul, when Saul sinned, Samuel was commissioned to go to the house of Jesse. And at the house of Jesse... Jesse brings his sons before Samuel. And Eliab is the first one, the strapping one, the handsome one, the one that looks so kingly. And you know what God says? Do not look at his appearance, Samuel. That's what we do, don't we? Or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outer appearance. But, oh, folks, the Lord looks at the what? The heart. The heart. The heart. All these, the first six sons march through. He's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. And Samuel has to ask Jesse, do you have any others? And Jesse says, yes, the the young one, the pipsqueak, he's out watching the sheep. 15-year-old David was summoned to come before Samuel. And God says this, arise and anoint him for he is the one. Folks, God sees the heart god saw the heart of david david was anointed at age 15 and 15 years later through all the adversity that he went to he finally was ready to be a king at age 30 careful folks careful god can see your heart verse 27 and 28 another careful statement inner decay can be disguised 27 and 28 woe to you scribes pharisees and hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs. Remember, it just stands out white, just, just glowing tombs, glittering. They've been painted white, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, Jesus is just emphasizing again outward looks great, inward, bad news bears, okay? Israel's tombs, when you go to Israel, many tombs are whitewashed. They're painted over. I have a picture of a couple tombs here. You know, it's very traditional. You see these tombs and these, they're, they're, they haven't been painted. They, they look dirty and unkept. And what the Pharisees did is they painted. Jesus is saying you paint your outward part, but inwardly you're still unkept. You're still unclean. That's the message. That, and they got the message because this was very common in the nation of Israel for this to happen. Inside your dead man's bones. Now, this statement you must hear. No one can hide from God. All things are laid bare. No one can hide from God. All things are laid bare. Listen to this. Your excuses cannot hide you. God sees everything. Your justification cannot hide you. Your excuses cannot hide you. And by the way, the darkness cannot hide you. How many times do people try to sneak around in the dark? Nobody's seeing me. Oh, really? God sees everything. Notice this next picture where the the light is just shining. I hope it comes up. It did. Okay. Boom. The light is shining on the person. That's how God sees. You can't sneak around. God sees everything. Hebrews 4.13 is so telling, folks. Nothing in all creation. Now, nothing means what? Nothing, okay? Nothing means nothing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. God sees everything. No excuses, no rationalization. God sees through all the fluff, folks. He sees through all the excuses. Careful with cleaning on our outside and ignoring our inside issues. Careful. I'm going to ask you a question. And I expect an A plus on this answer. Okay, so everybody get ready. A plus. Who no, no. <laughs> who? Jesus or Genesis? You've been with me long enough, haven't you? Who is the greatest whitewashed tomb of all? Say, okay, who said it? Good job, Chris. Yes, yeah, Satan. Satan. Be careful, folks. Inner decay can be disguised. And I want to tell you what happening today i have another slide here about false prophets inner decay can be disguised false prophets here comes thank you emma false prophets don't forget that satan and his ministers are attractive engaging and persuasive using a false construct of love and acceptance isn't that what you hear today love love everything you can do anything you want in your life but just cover it with love Live any way that you want. That's a lie. God is love, but love is not license, folks, to sin. These congenial prophets, and they look good and sound good in our pulpits, are loaded with talent, charisma, energy. So don't be fooled just because they have a Bible that's thrown up in the air. Be very careful who you listen to, who you listen to. Now, the next slide is going to tell us about 1 Corinthians eleven, thirteen 13 through 15. Watch what Paul says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves. And you guys know what that word transform is because I've used it many times. It's metaschismatico. It means changed on the outside, but no change on the inside. Looking good, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself was transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing. If his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness and look great and terrific, whose works ends shall be according to their works. Folks, please, careful. Inner decay can be disguised. Careful who you follow. Careful who you listen to. Careful what websites you go to what programs you listen to, what newscasts you listen to. Be very careful. we have never, you've heard this before, but you get it again. We've never lived, humans have never lived in an environment like we are living in now with this information overload. And so much of the information overload is contrary to God. Be very careful who you listen to. Now, the next one I think is significant particularly in America, when we see such a focus on ourselves, careful with elevated self-worth, verse 29 through 33, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. You're looking good to all the people around you and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets we wouldn't have done that therefore and jesus is going to hit him therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets you would have done the same thing fill up then the measure of your father's guilt serpents brood of vipers how can you escape the condemnation of hell that looking good on the outside thinking they're going to be perfect before the people God sees through everything. Careful. This is pride, folks. This elevated self-worth is pride. And by the way, every sin that we commit is grounded in pride. I will have my way. I will do my own thing. They claim that they would not have participated in the killings. And again, why are they claiming this? They thought highly of themselves. They thought they were great. They were the ones that were perfect. They're telling all of you how to be perfect and how to keep all 613 laws perfectly perfectly if you didn't do it they jumped all over you jumped all over you now why they claim they 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 looked highly on themselves they had elevated self-worth folks this is pride and i can tell you unequivocally that god hates pride pride is what came into this into god's creation with satan he is the originator of pride and from that it's gone to humanity now, Chuck Missler has a, has a slide, God, the God's Hates list. It'll come up right here. A proud look, folks, that's pride. A haughty eye, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes or imaginations. Oh, man, when your feet are quick to run to trouble. That God hates it. A false witness that speaks lies. And, folks, he doesn't like this one either. Someone who stores, sows discord among the brethren six things God hates seventh and an abomination to him the number one on that list is pride now think about your life because I think this hits each one of us in some way some manner for all of us be the next slide for all of us with elevated self-worth Philippians two thirteen is for all of us okay do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each one should look not only to your own interests but also to the interest of others. Doesn't that just hit you? Don't think too highly of yourself, folks. God sees you just as you are. Folks, we need mercy. Just cry out to him. Lord, I'm sorry. I've been prideful. I've done what I shouldn't. I I ask you to forgive me. And it's great that God is so willing to forgive. He is so much more gracious than we are. We We hold resentment. We hold resentment. And in an instant you confess your sin, it is done in the eyes of God. The Holy Spirit is cautioning every one of us not to be prideful. Whatever you have, this will be the next slide, whatever you have, Whatever we have been given, it's all from God. Let me tell you this. Michael Jordan, the phenomenal, I think he's the best basketball player in the history of the world. I think he's got LeBron beat. I think he's got all, I think Michael Jordan's the guy. Now, Michael Jordan was born with Michael Jordan talent. Now, he did develop it. He had to develop, he had to work. But man, you can work all you want and trying to leap from the free throw line I should have had a picture of this. Leap from the free throw line and voom that thing down. Now you, you can do that. All, you can do all the squats. You can jump as high as you want. You can do everything. You aren't doing it. You aren't doing it. God gave that to Michael Jordan. The Pharisees thought everything was about them, folks. It comes from God. Do not think of Everything comes down from God. From the, what was it saying, James? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like sifting sand. The Pharisees thought it was all about them. And Jesus sets them straight. You are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You would have done the same thing had you been there. That was your heart. They had elevated self-worth and they were guilty. All folks need to bow before Jesus Christ. All of us need to bow and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for my sins. I am now your servant. I'm now your slave. I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus. I'm a doulos. My will consume with the will of my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 34 and 36. You're not going to hear this very much either. You guys are in an unusual place here today. Because you won't hear this most places on TV, radio. You go to big churches. This isn't a popular subject. Careful serving Jesus will cost you. It will cost you. 34 through 36. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill. Notice, you will kill. This is future. This is what's going to happen to the church once it's established. You will kill them. You will crucify some of them. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. See, God sees all. They thought it was secret. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now hear this. Now hear this. There are so few, so few who will be honest with you and tell you it will cost you to follow Jesus. Hopefully that slide came up for you. Few will be honest with you. Folks, Jesus is God. He knows exactly what is going to happen to his followers and his church going forward. It happened in the beginning. It happened in the in-between. And folks, it's happening today. The church is being persecuted. More on that in just a second. Jesus said, I will send you, God will send, apostles, Prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, and what are they going to do? They're going to persecute you. They will kill some of you. You will be some of you will be scourged. This is not popular. And again, this is not taught that it will cost you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Folks, it's going to cost you and your family. You'll have family members that think you are absolutely wacky tobacco. You got religion. You caught a disease. You got religion disease. Be careful, it's contagious. We want to spread it to the other members of our family. It's contagious. These guys were all about killing Jesus and his followers, and by extension, they were guilty of the blood from Abel to Zechariah. They had the same mindset as their forefathers. Same mindset. Jesus said that persecution will happen, many would die for them. Let me ask you a question Did this happen at the time of Jesus? You bet. You remember the Roman Colosseum. You remember the history of Christians being lit up, crucified, lit up as lamps on the, on the roadways going to the Colosseum. You remember the slaughters that went around in that circus. They called it the circus, the Roman circus. God's people died all the time. Is this happening today? You bet. There are many today dying for their faith. I want to, I want to just take a little segue here. A lot of times you're talking with people, and they will say, religion, they always say religion. Religion has caused more deaths than anything else in the history of the world. Now, I grant it to you. There's been some crazy religious wars and unjust things that have happened under the banner of religion and that sort of thing. But look at these statistics. I've shared these with you before. This may be familiar to some of you. We know that today in the 20th century, there are more martyrs happening today for Christ That any other time in the 19th centuries preceding, is add all of those. There is more in the 20, and now going in the 21st century, than the history of the whole time before that. Happening today. See, we're insulated. We're isolated from this. There are people dying for their faith right now all over this world. When atheist communists took over Russia in 1917, it was an Orthodox Christian nation before that. When they came in, they started the slaughter. And over over seven decades, they killed 20 million Christians. That was paltry compared to Mao when he had his cultural revolution. In 1966 to 1976, there was a purging of the land. 45 to 70 million Chinese were killed. A large number of those were Christians. And by the way, you couldn't purge all the Christians. There's 60 to 80 million Christians in China today. Men of God, men of steel, men beaten, men imprisoned, men dying for their faith, but the church still flourishes. You think this freeway closing down would have stopped them from coming to church? You guys are—you guys are great. You guys navigated. You didn't stay home and say, ah, "I'm going to go next week when I can go straight there." And it's all you know. You think they would have—they would have said, "Well, the air conditioning's broke. I'm not going this week. It's going to be a little sweaty in here." No, they'll do anything to meet together in the persecuted church. They need one another. They'll meet together. Dying for the faith. We know about China and Russia, but I bet you didn't know about this. There was a revolution in Mexico in 1973, a communist revolution. It cost the lives of 30,000 Catholic Christians. And, And there's another one that happened in 1936 to 1939 in Spain, Franco killed 150,000 to 400,000 Christians who opposed him. That's the history of the world dealing with Christians, real Christians. Now, why did these people die? Why didn't they just go along to get along? Why didn't they just say, hey, I, I, can, just, I can just blend and I can just pretend. I'm, I'm, really, a, I, I'm really a Christian, but I'm just going to say I'm not for right now. Is that okay? Is that Okay. The question is this, now follow me, it's going to come up on the screen, why did many of these die? They refuse to recant and deny Jesus. That's the important thing. Under the threat of death, recant your faith, recant your faith. And so many people say, well, I'll recant for now, and then I'll just take it back. The early church didn't do that, and many people in our world today are not doing that. Why? 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 Scripture is serious about not denying Christ. I have a couple slides here for you that's going to come up. The first one is Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, take a hard stop. Now, this could mean to the death, but I'm telling you, it's important to confess Jesus before everyone in your sphere of influence. Folks, there should be no place that you go that people don't realize that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as, you know, secret service Christians flowing undercover. Now, you might have to do that in Iran or something like that, but you're in a free country. Use your freedom, folks. Use your freedom. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... Him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Folks, people have taken this verse seriously. People have died for this. This here in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 was a creed of the early church. Watch what this says. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, if we serve him while we're here, oh, we're going to reign with him. But oh, if we deny him, careful, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. People have died because they realize the importance of not denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are they able to do this? Can you stand out there in front of a bunch of people that want to slit your throat like those like that string of, of Coptic Egyptian Christians that I had pictures of last year or so? When each one of them had a knife to their throat, you can recant. You can believe in Muhammad or you can believe in Jesus. Vroom, right down, vroom, right down, vroom, right down. Each one of them died for their faith. Now, how do they do that? How do they do that? It has to be the Holy Spirit power at the time. Remember, Jesus said, you don't have to worry about what to say when they take you to court, that God will give you the power at the time to do it. But you must lean on him for that power. You must have a relationship with Him for that power. Now, Jesus on the cost of discipleship makes it very clear. In Luke chapter nine, twenty-three through twenty-six, we read the following: Then He said to them all, by extension, us, if anyone desires to come after Me, follow Him. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed or he loses his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory in his father's and of the holy angels. Folks, this taking up your cross is an invitation to die to the self-life, to die to my will, to die to my way, to die to my pleasures, to deny all, d- deny, all, to d- die to the things that, that I live for today in the flesh. The cross is an offense you experience for your witness. And remember what the word witness is. Never forget this. If you forget all the other Greek words I say, don't forget this one. Marturio. Now you can remember it, Because the root word is martyr. You may be called to the death. Very few are. But you must be willing to go that far. We are to be martyrios. Witness for our Lord Jesus. All the way to the death if need be. Erwin Lutzer says this. The lighter your cross. The weaker your witness. What does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and lose his soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. A person can have everything this world offers. You can have your yachts. You can have your mansions. And by the way, let me ask you this question. Who wants some giant mansion? Now, I hope, I'm glad I didn't see a bunch of people go, I do, I do, I do. You know, you got to clean that thing. If you got seven bathrooms... You got to clean seven bathrooms. You got bedrooms. You got things. You know, you, I'm sure if you're rich, you're going to have all the aides and all the people coming in and doing that stuff for you. But you got to keep all that stuff up. I mean, how many rooms can you stay in? We moved to Marshall. Chris and I moved to Marshall. We have got this great big giant house. Always wanted the big house, big house, big cars. You know, that was when we first came here. And I'm going to get rich in anesthesia, and I'm going to. Oh, we're going to be moving on up, moving on up. <laughs> You know where we stayed in that big house? We stayed in the family room behind the garage, which was about this big, uh, and the whole time. Uh, TV's right here, kids are all around us. We never went in the living room. Very suddenly, we go into the, into the dining room. And the, the rest of the house wasn't used. We had bedrooms that weren't used. We got out of there quick because that wasn't for us. We were like the Beverly Hillbillies living in that town, weren't we, huh? <laughs> I had a Doberman running around, and everybody's going, what is this? They had little chihuahuas with little sweaters on them. I'm in the wrong town. But anyway, I don't know where I'm at here, but you can't take this stuff with you. (laughs) Pharaohs, okay, this will be another slide coming up, so let me get back into track here. Pharaohs thought they could take this world stuff with them to the next world. You know that. They didn't, you know, they go to the pyramids, you find all this stuff. Their tombs are full of this world stuff. It all stayed here. And there's a little, just a little slide to remind you, you can't take it with you. By the way, you came into this world, how? Naked and bare. And they might clothe you in that casket. But buddy, you're ba- naked and bare. You're going with nothing. You aren't taking any of this world's goods with you. Bill Gates, listen up. You're taking nothing with you. You can freeze yourself like Ted Williams did. You can do whatever you want to try to prolong this. You're going to die and stand before God and give an account of your life. That's an an absolute fact that's going to happen. And folks, listen to this loud and clear. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. Careful, serving Jesus will cost you. 37 and 38 says this, careful, the penalty for rejecting Jesus is awful, it's awful, 37 and 38, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now remember he's saying this to the Pharisees and to everybody in the temple grounds, but the Pharisees are influences, he's grieving the Pharisee's decision to not receive him. And the Pharisees influencing all the people in the temple compound. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You get the imagery here, the warmth. But you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you will see me no more till you say, blessed, blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord. Now, again, Jesus laments the Pharisees' decisions to reject him. Those woes are grievous woes. He's saddened by people's decisions to walk away from him. Over and over and over, listen to this God comes to you, God reveals himself to you. I think he does this to every person, somehow, some way, that you realize there's a God in heaven that you're accountable to. You're accountable to him over and over. The tenderness of Jesus. Folks, I don't know how you look at God, but I hope you look at him as loving and caring and kind and gentle. I know bad stuff happens here. That wasn't supposed to be this way. Sin came in. Sin made this mess. Don't blame God for something that we chose to do. That sin curse was passed on to us. God is caring God. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But then you have these fatal words. But you were not willing. It could not be sadder. God does his part. He died for the sins of the world. Now, this next one, it'll come up on the slide here. Next slide. Jesus paid the price to secure our freedom from debtor's prison. His life for my life. I should have died. I deserve hell. Jesus died in my place. He rescued me. And all you have to do is believe and receive the free gift that God offers you. That's all you have to do. His life for my life. Freedom is offered, folks. It is a gift. A person must be willing to accept the gift. The Pharisees and the nation they influenced were not willing For all not willing, and that's the majority of the world today, there's only a remnant that is saved, there's only a remnant that is going to be genuine, folks, remnant that will be genuine, your house, your temple is left to you desolate, that means a solitary wilderness, a desert, you know what happened to, what happened 40 years after Jesus said this, you know, Vespasian came with his armies, and Rome and Israel fought. Vespasian was called back home because there were riots in, in, in Rome. And there was, he became Caesar, and he sent his son Titus to finish the job. And then Titus, with his armies, came and leveled Jerusalem. He leveled the city. He leveled the temple. He destroyed everything, and the Jews went into captivity. Josephus reports that 1.1 million Jews lost their lives in that siege. 97,000 were enslaved. They were dispersed from their homeland. Jesus warns the Jewish people. This echoes through the epochs of time since he's given this warning. You will see me no more till you see blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Jewish people have to do two things before Messiah will come back. They have to admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. That's Hosea 5.15. And they must plead for him to return. That's our text today. And I will say this loud and clear. Careful, folks. Careful, folks. The penalty of rejecting Messiah is awful. It is awful. In the temporal, in our time right now, that's the temporal, the temporary, It's an unfulfilled life, a sense that something is missing, something is awry, something is wrong. No matter how much you try to medicate yourself, no matter how much stuff you try to get into your life, there's this sense that something is not right and something is wrong, never satisfied. But the worst of all is an eternity separated from God, eternal punishment in hell. And I think that hell is going to be terrible, but I think one of the terrible things there. Is this never satisfied, always teeth grinding? Is just, just, just a terrible place to be forever and ever and ever? I have a question for you. Are you willing to risk forever in hell for momentary pleasure here? Yeah, of course, the answer would be no, no way, no way. I don't want to do that. Closing thoughts careful who you follow, think carefully. About who you follow. And again, I say to you, you have more information coming at you than any time in the history of the world. You are inundated with stuff. Careful who you listen to. Careful of those websites. Careful of those newscasters. Careful what you're taking in. There are many voices vying for your attention and your loyalty. Don't blindly follow any person, including who? Including me. You make sure that what I'm saying is in in line with Scripture. You're Bereans. Now, if I say something off, you guys jump all over it. That's good news. That's good news. And you have plenty of opportunity for that. (laughs) Examine closely what is being said and who is saying it. Are they credible? Examine their life. Examine and keep examining. And again, the Bereans were good at this. They checked to see if what Paul said was in line with Scripture. Make sure you're examining. Everyone folks follows someone or something. Everyone has a world view, the lens in which you see the world through. Every human has that. When it comes down to it, there are only two world views: God's view and man's view. And they're, they're quite different. Isaiah 55, verse eight and nine says this: God says, "My thoughts are not your thoughts." You get that? We're not the same. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God is not like us. A God worldview and a human worldview, no, no, no comparison. No comparison. Now the question is this, which basket are you going to place your trust in? I'm going to give a plug here for colleges, for universities. Listen to this next statement. Those attending, a new cliche here, the academic victimology complex. How do you like that? That's college, folks. That's universities today, which are, by the way, indoctrination centers, are fed a progressive Marxist worldview. That is the predominant thing that is happening in univer- public universities today. It's seeped into some Christian colleges too, alleged Christian colleges. It's seeping into everything. Now remember this. Now Brandon House, Brandon House, excuse me, Brandon House taught us this in his book, Religious Trojan Horse. The slide's going to come up here. Now, what they are being taught in these universities are, are doctrine. All doctrine means is, is teaching teaching. They're being inundated with teaching that is telling them to live a Marxist ideology. So doctrine or teaching determines your worldview. Your worldview will determine your values, what you hold true, what you hold valuable in your life. This will affect your conduct. Now take a hard stop. Now what have we seen in the past few years? We've seen riots in cities with Antifa going nuts Most of those were educated in universities. Most of those, when you hear the word, burn it down, they want to start over with communism, socialistic communism. That is the goal. That is what they're talking about there. They've been taught this, and they believe with all of their hearts, it's like a religion to them, that equal distribution of resources is going to give you a, a great life. Well, just ask the people that live under that. They are the haves and the haves and that's like you can't believe. Now I have just a picture here of the world coming up next and it's just everybody has a worldview and folks, I'm just telling you, please have a biblical worldview. May everything be focused through what scripture says, focus through what scripture says. Now I also want you to remember as you look at the world and everybody has this worldview and that sort of thing, God's heart is for humanity. God's heart is for the world. The heart of God is expressed over and over in Scripture. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. You know the verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering. That's macrothumio. That is patient with people. Slow to heat up with people. It's not a flash fire with God. It's slow to heat up. He bears with us for a long time. Macrothumia is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. 1 Timothy 2.4, it's cousin. Cousin verse. God who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the heart of God. How about an Old Testament one? You're familiar with this one too. Ezekiel 18.23. When God tells the nation of Israel who's running from him, Doesn't want anything to do with him. And he knows that they're going to go into punishment. They're going into captivity. He says, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die and that they not turn and repent, turn from their ways and live? When you think of God, there's a song that Evan sings waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I'm I'm auditioning, okay? This is an auditioning. That is who you are. Well, I got this, God is a life giver. God is a waymaker. God is a miracle worker. He still invades people's lives today and changes circumstances. And God by by you can just bet your life on this. He is a promise keeper. And a God is a light in this dark world. And by the way, so are you. And what are you to do with your light? Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And by all means, don't forget this one. God is for me. Who can be against me? The whole world is going to be against you. But if God is for you, who can be against me? And I'll say this loud and clear. Follow Jesus. He will lead you down the right path. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice that it doesn't say, I know them, and they cheerlead me. I know them, and they wave at me. No, you follow means you're emulating. You're being like the master. You're being like the shepherd. You're be more and more becoming like Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. This this pansy Christianity that we have in America today, that's not real Christianity. Christianity is when we are involved in being conformed to the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit's power at work within us. Our cry to our God is this. You're going to see two Psalms. The first one is going to be Psalm 24, 4, and 5. This is David, King David, going through all kinds of problems, running for his life. Show me the right path. O oh Lord, point out the road for me to follow. Lead me to, by your truth and teach me, for you are God who saves me. You have a God that saved you. You have a God that loves you. You have a God that is with you. All day long, I put my hope in you, God. All day long, every situation, anything that comes into my life. And finally, the last one, Psalm 5:8. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain to me. And I say, Jesus does make the way plain. He does make the plain to follow. Careful who you follow. Follow the Jesus path. And guess what? You will be safe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Lord, I pray that we will be people of the book, that we will be people that earnestly follow you. This this what is happening in our world today, particularly in the Western world, is this half-in, mamsey pamsy Christianity is not what you died for. You died for men and women of God to be followers of you, true followers. It's happening through the rest of the world that are persecuted. It's going to be happening more and more in this country as the pressure is leveraged. Those who are real will rise to the top, and those who are false will go by the wayside. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be Holy Spirit-filled, people of God, with the rod of iron up our spine, the Holy Spirit of the living God that helps us to stand through all the stuff that is coming at us in this world. You are our way maker. You are our miracle worker. You are the promise keeper You, God, are a light in the darkness. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.